Ambrose Bierce, The Middle Toe of the Right Foot Chapter 1 It is well known that the old Manton house is haunted. In all the rural district near about and even in the town of Marshall, a mile away, not one person of unbiased mind entertains a doubt of it. Incredulity is confined to those opinionated people who will be called cranks as soon as the useful word shall have penetrated the intellectual domain of the martial advance. The evidence that the house is haunted is of two kinds. The testimony of disinterested witnesses who have had ocular proof and that of the house itself. The former may be disregarded and ruled out on any of various grounds of objection which may be urged against it by the ingenious. But facts within the observation of all are material and controlling. In the first place, the Manton house has been unoccupied by mortals for more than 10 years and with its outbuildings is slowly falling into decay, a circumstance which in itself the judicious will hardly venture to ignore. It stands a little way off the loneliest reach of the Marshall and Harriston Road in an opening which was once a farm and is still disfigured with strips of rotting fence and half covered with brambles overrunning a stony and sterile soil long unacquainted with the plough. The house itself is in tolerably good condition, though badly weather-stained and in dire need of attention from the glazier, the smaller main population of the region having attested in the manner of its kind its disapproval of dwelling without dwellers. It is two stories in height, nearly square its front pierced by a single doorway, flanked on each side by a window, boarded up to the very top. Corresponding windows above, not protected, serve to admit light and rain to the rooms of the upper floor. Grass and weeds go pretty rankly all about, and a few shade trees somewhat the worse for wind and leaning all in one direction, seem to be making a concerted effort to run away. In short, as the Marshalltown humorist explained in the columns of the advance, <clears throat> the proposition that the wanton house is badly haunted is the only logical conclusion from the premises. That fact that in this dwelling Mr. Manton thought it expedient one night some ten years ago to rise and cut throats of his wife and two small children, removing at once to another part of the country, has no doubt done its share in directing public attention to the fitness of the place for supernatural phenomena. To this house, one summer evening, came four men in a wagon. Three of them promptly alighted and the one who had been driving 
hitched the team to the only remaining post of what had been a fence. The fourth remained seated in the wagon. Come, said one of his companions, approaching him, while the others moved away in the direction of the dwelling. This is the place. The man addressed did not move. By God, he said harshly, this is a trick and it looks to me as if you were in it. Perhaps I am, the other said, looking him straight in the face and speaking in a tone which had something of contempt in it. You will remember, however, that the choice of place was with your own assent left to the other side. Of course, if you're afraid of spooks, I am afraid of nothing, the man interrupted with another oath and sprang to the ground. The two then joined the others at the door, which one of them had already opened with some difficulty, caused by rust of lock and hinge. All entered. Inside it was dark, but the man who had unlocked the door produced a candle and matches and made a light. He then unlocked a door on their right as they stood in the passage. This gave them entrance to a large square room that the candle but dimly lighted. The floor had a thick carpeting of dust which partly muffled their footfalls. Cobwebs were in the angles of the walls and deepened from the ceiling like strips of rotting lace making undulatory movements in the disturbed air. The room had two windows and adjoining sides, but from neither could anything be seen except the rough inner surfaces of boards a few inches from the glass. There was no fireplace, no furniture, there was nothing besides the cobwebs and the dust. The four men were the only objects there which were not a part of the structure. Strange enough, they looked in the yellow light of the candle. The one who had so reluctantly alighted was especially spectacular. He might have been called sensational. He was of middle age, heavily built, deep-chested and broad-shouldered. Looking at his figure, one would have said that he has a giant's strength at his features that he would use it like a giant. He was clean-shaven, his hair rather closely cropped and grey. His low forehead was seamed with wrinkles above eyes and over the nose these became vertical. The heavy black brows followed the same law, saved from meeting only by an upward turn at what would otherwise have been the point of contact. Deeply sunken beneath these brows glowed in the obscure light a pair of eyes of uncertain color but obviously enough too small. There was something forbidding in their expression which was not bettered by the cruel mouth and wide jaw. The nose was well enough, as noses go. One does not expect much of noses. All that was sinister in the man's face 
seemed accentuated by an unnatural pallor. He appeared altogether bloodless. The appearance of the other men was sufficiently commonplace. They were such persons as one meets and forgets that he met. All were young than the man described, between whom and the eldest of the others who stood apart, there was apparently no kindly feeling. They avoided looking at each other. <clears throat> Gentlemen, said the man holding the candle and keys, I believe everything is right. Are you ready, Mr. Rosser? The man standing apart from the group bowed and smiled. And you, Mr. Grossmith? The heavy man bowed and scowled. You will be pleased to remove your outer clothing. Their hats, coats, waistcoats and neckwear were soon removed and thrown outside the door in the passage. The man with the candle now nodded, and the fourth man who had urged Grossmith to leave the wagon produced from the pocket of his overcoat two long, murderous-looking bowie knives, which he drew now from their leather scabbards. They are exactly alike, he said, presenting one to each of the two principals, for by this time, the dullest observer would have understood the nature of this meeting. It was to be a duel to the death. Each combatant took a knife, examined it critically near the candle, and tested the strength of the blade and handle across his lifted knee. Their persons were then searched in turn, each by the second of the other. If it is agreeable to you, Mr. Grospeth, said the man holding the light, you will place yourself in that corner. He indicated the angle of the room, farthest from the door, whither Grossmith retired. His second parting from him with a grasp of the hand, which had nothing of cordiality in it. In the angle nearest the door, Mr. Rosser stationed himself and after a whispered consultation, the second left him, joining the other near the door. At that moment, the candle was suddenly extinguished, leaving all in profound darkness. This may have been done by a draught from the open door, whatever the cause. The effect was startling. Gentlemen, said a voice which sounded strangely unfamiliar in the altered condition affecting the relations of the senses. Gentlemen, you will not move until you hear the closing of the outer door. A sound of trampling ensued, then the closing of the inner door. And finally, the outer one closed with a concussion which shook the entire building. A few minutes afterward, a belated farmer's boy met a light wagon which was being driven furiously towards the town of Marshall. He declared that behind the two figures on the front seat stood a third. 
with its hands upon the bowed shoulders of the others who appeared to struggle vainly to free themselves from its grasp this figure unlike the others was clad in white and had undoubtedly watched the wagon as it passed the haunted house as the lad could boast a considerable former experience with the supernatural thereabouts his word had the weight justly due to the testimony of an expert the story in connection with the next day's events eventually appeared in the advance with some slight literary embellishments and a concluding intimation that the gentleman referred to would be allowed the use of the papers columns for their version of the night's adventure but the privilege remained without a claimant <laughs>